Welcome to Talk is Jericho is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And I got some good news. The Saturday Night Special is back this Saturday night, 9 p.m. EST on uh, Facebook Live or on my YouTube channel. Um, just search Chris Jericho on either and you'll find the show. We're going to be shooting on the stadium stampede this week. Everyone's talking about one of the greatest matches I've ever been involved with. And I'll give you some behind the scenes stories a solo. And we're going to do actually a whole stadium stampede uh, podcast with the inner circle at some point as well but this saturday night it's just me so come have a drink hang with me and uh it's gonna be amazing talking all about double or nothing and the stadium stampede match we had all over the jacksonville jaguar stadium i'll be answering all your questions about it we'll do a sing-along at the end facebook live uh, on my youtube channel this saturday night for the saturday night special we'll see you guys there but today matt cardona and brian myers you know them uh, better as zach Ryder and kurt hawkins are here they are longtime uh, tag team partners and friends, even though they hated each other when they first met. You hear that story? And how the one thing they had in common eventually made them fast friends. They're talking about their early days at WWE, getting signed, meeting Vince McMahon, becoming tag partners, and working with The Undertaker. They're also talking about all the times they've been fired from WWE, including the most recent. And you'll hear all about their podcast, Major Figures, which was, uh, I, was also, I was just recently on that. We had a great time. So both of these guys have been on Talk Is Jericho before, but never together, which is uh, unbelievable because you guys have been, of course, I'm talking about them, of artists formerly known as Zack Ryder and Brian Meyer and uh, Kurt Hawkins, it's, uh, <laughs> Matt Cardona and uh, and uh, Brian Myers. It's going to be hard for, you, for me to call you Matt. It's it's weird for me to call myself Matt. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. <laughs> is it weird after having those names for so long to know that now, like you said, you you have to revert back to your original names see for me luckily we have this podcast where for two years i've been going by matt cardona but before that i like forgot that was my real name even my dad calls me called me zach you know so <laughs> when it was time to okay well i'm not gonna be zach Ryder anymore do i introduce an, another new name do i use my indie name like forget it just just matt cardona Always ready, Matt Cardona. There you go. What was your indie name before? Oh, it was Brett Matthews, which was my backyard with, name. With a Z. With, with a Z. Z. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course it was. And how about you? What was your indie name, Brian? Uh, so I had this weird thing. Like, I never fantasized about being anyone but Brian Myers when I was a kid. I never made up this other persona. I was like, no, I'm going to be the wrestler. Like, I don't think I, like, equated when I was little enough that these were fake names. Right. So I just never, like, I never changed it. And uh, I guess kind of fortunately, the first time I got fired, I went out and, you know, became Brian Myers and already kind of semi-built that brand. And now between that and the podcast, it's actually, I, I would say more people refer to me to Bri as Brian than Kurt. Whereas I think, like, I don't think people even knew your name was Matt Cardona. Exactly. Like a year and a half ago, yeah. <laughs> well, you guys used to have gimmick names, too, when you first came in in WWE, right? Well, yeah, we were the Major Brothers, Brett and Brian Major. And then uh, the story goes that Vince found out we weren't brothers, so we had to tell everyone our real names, which were, of course, Zach Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, there was a guy in Calgary, his name was uh, Ken Smith, and he decided he needed a, a, a show business name for wrestling, so he changed it to Ken Johnson. Well, I like that. <laughs> wow. Really big departure there. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Charisma, right? Yeah. But um, so here you guys are after after having a great run in the WWE, because especially for both you guys, I know you had two stints, Brian, and yours, uh, Matt, was, gosh, 15 some odd years or something? Almost like 15, like 14 years. I got signed in 2000, the beginning of 2006 with Brian. We were 20 years yeah, old. Uh, 
February 2006. Yeah, 20 years old. And this is, and you guys are like me. You grew up WWF fans, right? Oh, 100%. Like the only well, thing. Well, that, that would imply that we've grown up and we still don't like wrestling. Anymore. <laughs> oh, right. As you <laughs> aged. Still, as you yes. aged. You, you, yeah, we're still just fanboys at heart. You know, and I think that's what's kept us uh, half sane in this whole thing, you know, all these years. Well, and, and you have to be. But but to, to me, like you said, like starting in the WWE at 20, it took me, you know, I started wrestling at 19. It took me 10 years to get there at 29. And it was just, I couldn't believe how excited I was to be there. I mean, how was it for you guys growing up as wrestling fans and then starting so young in, in, in this company of your dreams? Oh, I mean, I, I think it's something that, not that we took it for granted, we just thought this is the natural progression. You sign up to wrestling school, you have a WWE tryout, you make it a WWE, you know? Right. And it, it was <laughs> Yeah, it all, all happened so fast that we just thought, like, oh, this is the way it is. And then we were just too young and dumb. You know, we're wrestling, we're wrestling The Undertaker, like, literally every night of the week, you know, at 21 years old and not, like... Not, I, I, I want to say not understanding the full importance of it, you know, but I mean, trying our best and doing everything we can, but uh, not understanding how fortunate we were to be there so fast, I think. But how could you understand it? Like right. I said, I mean, starting such a young age, uh, I was talking to a, a couple bands yesterday that, that had gold records when they were 20 and just thought, well, that's how you do it. You, you start your band, you get, you put a record, you get a gold record. And then of course, two years later, the band's broken up and there's nothing left. So to start at such a huge level, because you guys never rode the, the the van rides and 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 sleeping six guys to a hotel and that sort of thing or did you no a couple indies in like the new york tri-state area but like nothing crazy we weren't indie never, we anything, never had you know? an overnight trip we never had a, a plane ride until wwe like no way yeah how did and first of all i just realized that all three of us here are long islanders that's right yeah. baby manhasset represent you Manhasset, yeah. Merrick, baby. I'm, I'm from Glencove. It's actually like very, very close to Manhasset. Yeah. And where are you from, uh, Matt? Merrick, where, where Brian lives now. He wanted to copy me, so he moved to my, own, my old hometown. It's, it's, a, it's a very nice town. <laughs> so how did you guys get signed so quickly then? Well, we started uh, in the NYWC, and Mikey Whipwreck from ECW was the, the trainer there. And when we first started, we, we hated each other because we were the same age. We looked alike. We were the, the competition. I mean, I don't think either of us grew up wanting to be a tag team wrestler. You know what I'm saying? We, you always, you know, you, you, uh, you dream of that singles run, you know? So we, we hated each other at first. And so many people said, like, you look like this guy. You should team with him. Ah, f- this guy, you know? Like, I hated him. And then it was one day we realized we both were 18 years old collecting wrestling figures in hiding. They're like, oh, wow, maybe this guy's pretty cool. <laughs> that, that was the icebreaker. But, yeah, it was very competitive at first. And we kind of got just thrown together because we looked the same and we were the same age and same height or whatever. And uh, the the figures is what kind of broke the ice. Were, and, and we were like, well, this is our shot to like actually be on the shows. I think we should just just go with it and see where it takes us. And all these years later, we're still doing it. You guys had a, a, a kindred spirit because you both were collecting the action figures. I mean, we could say toys, but it's so much more than that, as we know. Right. Action figures, the, the, the play sets, all of that sort of stuff. So you guys found this out when you first started out that you were both into it? Yeah, a couple of months in. I forget how exactly we, because uh, at the time we weren't proud about it. You know, we weren't, we no, didn't totally it was have like, a podcast it was a hidden, about it. Hidden dirty secret, man. It was in the closet. You didn't tell anybody That's about right. that. You're like, oh no. Especially at wrestling school. Like I, I'm there with all these like, you know, indie guys, but I think they're like superstars to me, like megastars. You know, I don't know. They're like mailmen and just regular people, but doing this too. You know, I just think like everyone who's a wrestler is a big deal to me. You know, that's how much of a fanboy I was. So I, Things like that where I was embarrassed to say, like, oh, I collect these wrestling figures. Like, no way am I saying that, you know, in this group of people and stuff. And then I don't know how it happened, to be honest with you. But then 
once the ice was broken, we'd go to like Toys R Us together, and that would be like a, a thing we do to hang out, you know, look for new figures and stuff. Right. Like I didn't tell anybody because I already had heat with those guys because they knew I was a backyard wrestler at public access. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> they knew like that I was doing the wrong thing by by not getting trained and wrestling. I, obviously, I stopped doing the backyard stuff in high school, but they knew me for my persona that was on public access after Raw. So I already had heat going in. <laughs> you know, it's, it reminds me of uh, when I first started when Bad News Allen was in the dress room uh, in, in Calgary. And, you know, you're, I was 21, 19, 20, whatever. And Bad News Allen walks in terrifying. And I remember there was some wrestling magazines lying around. And, and I think somehow I, I might have sent in my own picture to the magazine under a fake name and said, hey, you got to check out this Chris Jericho kid in Calgary. He's doing great. <laughs> and the magazine actually printed the, the picture. And I remember somebody had the magazine and I was so excited about it. And Bad News said, uh, he said, what are you looking at? I said, I'm looking at my pictures in the wrestling magazine. He said, really? He said, the only people that care about their pictures in wrestling magazines are marks and a slur for a gay person that I can't say right now. He goes, <laughs> oh, which man. one are you? <laughs> I'm like... I can see that the same thing if you guys uh, are in wrestling school and they're like, oh, they're playing with their little dolls. Right. Yeah. Not be good for you. We found that uh, dynamic quite a lot on the roster, especially the WWE main roster, because we're, like we said, we're kids. And wrestling to us in our age group, you know, our generation was romanticized with, you know, bed sheets and toys and video games. And we just grew up very different than just maybe a, you know, a black and white PWI is like, what mm. is that it? You know, that's all you really have to to romance this uh, obsession, you know? So we're sitting there and, uh, you know, changing next to Bob Holly and the undertaker, like, Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> we're a little different. And we knew that. So we knew to keep our mouths shut, but uh, that was definitely something that uh, differentiated us. Yeah. Cause we were just young kids and it was a totally different vibe, totally different locker room. Like you couldn't just, we, we debuted and we're still changing the extra talent until we asked for permission. You know, it's totally different, totally different atmosphere now, you know? So there's no way I was going up to take her and be like, what up, dude? Um, I just collected your new fig, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you guys are, you're in the, the small school and you're tagging up now. So how does that lead to you getting into WWE? The, the main thing that I remember is um, we were just starting to get our feet wet. I think right away, just, I think we stood out because we got right away, we got gear and we matched and like, you could see we were trying, maybe we weren't all that talented yet, but we were trying. And Mikey Whipwreck, our trainer, brought in Tommy Dreamer when he was the, uh, I guess, kind of the head of talent relations. I don't know what the official uh, name was. And we did a six-man tag with him. And I think that's how everything really got rolling is we were on Tommy's radar after that. Yeah. And then there was a, a WWE.com tryout where you signed up for this application. And then, uh, you know, of course, we signed up and we got accepted to the tryout. And we did so bad at this tryout. Like, I wish there was footage. Like, it was horrible. But there's there, there's got to be footage somewhere because it was recorded. So. Like, I remember the first thing that was uh, after everyone got in the ring and, and rolled around and wrestled around, you would go uh, in front of a camera. And I took it as talk about your favorite wrestler and like why you want to be in the business. So, like, Brian and I were so excited to be first. So, we went up first. And I think I said, like, my favorite wrestler is, is Edge and blah, blah, blah. I'd like to wrestle him because he, he grew up watching wrestling and so did I. And then Brian did something. And then everyone after us cut into promos, like cutting a promo on The Rock or cutting a promo on Jericho. We're like, holy shit. What did we just do? So that was at the Nassau Coliseum during the day before a live event. So it's not even like the big cool stages there. It's just very, the whole thing was very depressing, I guess I'd say. And then I remember Dreamers kind of sat us all down as a group after and was like, that was not a very good tryout. Like, I don't know what's going to come up with this for, like, anybody. 
So we kind of chalked it up as like, oh, okay, that was, I guess that was an okay experience. He gave us free tickets to the live event. I remember we sat there and watched the live event. <laughs> and then we were like, all right, back at it. And then he, he called us that week. I just couldn't believe it. With the idea to pair you up with Edge, or he just liked the look of you guys as a young kind of he hot, was young sending us to Deep team? South Wrestling uh, in McDonough, Georgia under Bill DeMott. Oh. So we did that for, for a full year until our call-up. So that, that's, that's kind of you know paying the dues, shall you say. You mentioned you didn't really travel in the vans or anything like that but i'm sure deep south was 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 not exactly very glitzy and glamoury <laughs> oh baby uh, I, uh chris uh, let's just say this i can't wait for you to narrate dark side of the ring deep south wrestling <laughs> it's coming uh i think luke Allis and i will make sure it comes and comes soon because the story needs to be told that place was looking back on it insane looking back on it, some of the best times of my life but wild wild shit went down there and as far as paying our dues i, I would say if you went through deep south your dues were paid in full because you bumped <laughs> enough for uh, seven careers in one week. Tell me what you would have to do uh, in Deep South Wrestling. What's a typical week looking like? Well, Matthew here had night terrors thinking about it, waking up each day. He couldn't even sleep, so maybe he can get into it a little bit. I mean, I did. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the same time, we were so young and dumb. I just thought, okay, this is WWE. This is what it's like. And it was just so hard. And yes, it, the practices were hard and stuff like that. But you know what? Like it made us all tougher. And I would, I would do it again because it made us who we are. And yeah. the the friendships and the bonds that we formed with those guys, you know, I, we still have those to this day. So looking back, yes, okay. At the time, was I having nightmares about it? Yes. <laughs> but would I do it again uh. in a heartbeat? Because I love it. I love that time in my life. And I truly believe I wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't have the mental toughness. Wouldn't have anything yeah. if it wasn't for deep south and bill deep south and bill like fully toughened my thick skin for this business where you know no rib or no online review or anything it's all just like oh, f off like it you know it, it really helped me in my career in that sense for sure that's where you lost the the innocence of wrestling just being this magical thing and actually getting into the business i'll never forget it one of my like first weeks in training back in long island a guy was on the apron with me and he goes man you're a fan of the business i was like yeah i love wrestling he's like it's never going to be the same again. I'm telling you right now. No matter you know, no matter if you you know just wrestle in these armories or you go on to superstardom, like the way you, the innocent way you've seen wrestling, it's over, and it's just something you have to accept if you're willing to get into it like that. I remember the first time, um, the first real wrestling experience I had was my dad knew a promoter in Winnipeg. His name was Bob Holiday, and he was running a tour. So I, he, they brought me on to be on the ring crew. And over that two or three weeks of touring, you know, Manitoban Indian reservations, I learned what the business really was. And I'll never forget the time this guy, he was the only nice guy on the tour that wasn't treating me like a total mark, which is what I was. <laughs> His name was Catfish Charlie. Nice. And when he explained to me that when you win a title, you don't really win a title. I remember I was just crushed. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> like, what? Like, like Hogan really didn't win? Like, that's real, right? Like. I understand the matches are, are predetermined, but that's real. And he's like, no, even that's not oh, real. No. And it took me a good three or four days to really wrap my head around that because there was no internet at that point. But like you said, that was my transition from uh, the magic and, and, and uh, mystique of the business to being like, this is hard, you know, hit the road type of a, of, a, of, a, of a job. Yeah. And like, I grew up watching wrestling and I thought I knew everything. I even, like I said, I backyard wrestled. I thought I knew everything, but the, once I got into it, like shine, what's a shine? What's a heat? What's a comeback? It like blew my mind. I, I, I'll never forget one day we walked in and Mikey had it on like a dry erase board. I think yeah, like, yeah. we couldn't get in the ring and it was like shine, heat, comeback. And I was like, 
Like, <laughs> mind-blown. Like, what is this? What on earth? Every match? <laughs> Who else was it with you in Deep South? Oh, man. Gallows. Gallows, who's our, still our, you know, one of our best friends this day. Uh, yeah. MVP. Oh, wow. Um, Angel the Great Kali. <laughs> the Great Kali, which was hell on earth. You'd have to get, you'd get called back after a five-hour practice for... Kali practice where he just drill you in the head with that chop and oh slam you and kick you and, and let, let me just say that, that chop felt like a damn tree branch fall 100 that was not uh, worked at all our first deep south like event we had a live event at six flags and uh me zach here and kenny omega actually were the noobs oh, and we were all dressed the noobs yeah. yeah we were all the the brand new guys there and we were <laughs> fake security guards and it was Kali or somebody maybe gallows and it was ended in like a schmaz, and we had to run in as security and all take the Kali chop. And I was, you know, I'm so excited. This is basically my first like WWE thing I'm doing. And that I could not believe how hard that it was like getting hit with a cinder block over the head. Like, whoa, you know, a very slow cinder block. Oh, <laughs> what? Uh, who, who else? Vladimir Kozlov. Oh, I remember him. Uh, Slam Master J, Ray, Ray Jeezy, Ray Gordy is one of my favorites, actually. The good old Ray. Yeah, I haven't seen him in years. So, what finally led for you guys to get to the main roster then from Deep South? That's another weird story. So Deep South got shut down and they were going to move everybody to the new, this new FCW hadn't even started yet, but a few of us were going to go to OVW. I believe it was us and uh, maybe like Jesse Brad Jay and Jesse and Festus. And then in that week of moving from uh, Atlanta to Louisville, we got the call to just show up at a SmackDown ECW taping. And all of a sudden there we are debuting on ECW as the major brothers. It just like happened out of the blue. And, and then we had to go to OVW and be in OVW for the other six months. It was so, so weird. <laughs> it was like eight months. Oh, no, wow. like, yeah, we had, we had to do both. So we were on the road full time and then we were in OVW full time, like basically no days off. Is it they just needed bodies on the show and they're trying to build new characters for ECW? Yeah, I think that the pitch was that they were going to eventually make like a tag team division that never happened. So that's how we kind of got lost in the shuffle. And then we got drafted to SmackDown and then really did nothing on SmackDown until the whole edgehead thing happened in December of that year. Yeah. How did that, how did that start? Cause I mean, obviously you guys kind of all looked a little bit like little junior edges and edgehead is such an Adam thing. I'm sure he came up with that. No. So this actually he didn't at all. Um, and we, we barely knew him at this point. So like, like you said, we kind of got set up almost for failure looking back on it. Like there was supposed to be some kind of division on ECW of tag teams never happened. And we were just green baby face tag team doing nothing back then in developmental, there'd be these days where the writers would come down and you kind of have to put on like a fake performance for them. You have like these matches and the crowd is them of 10 just watching you. You know, you do full entrance, a promo, same with your opponents. And then you have a, mat, a six minute match or whatever. So we were at TV. Like I said, we were full time OVW and live, you know, TVs and live events. And we see Michael Hayes and we're like, hey, you guys are coming this week. But like, we're already on the road here. Like, what, what should we do? He was like, well, show me something different. Okay. <laughs> and we were just like, and we kind of took that as like, all right, you like and <laughs> we conjured up this thing we were watching a lot of entourage at the time so we kind of stole it from entourage where we wanted to be since we looked like him anyway and we truly admired him and marked out for him anyway we were like what if we were edge's entourage and we were like his you know his lackeys and blah 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 so we raided the merch drawer of all the edge stuff and that week we came out to the music at the promo and i think unexpected to everybody of all those writers that came and that really got all the wheels spinning and then back to friggin' Michael Hayes. So he was like impressed with it all. And he's like, well, you can't just be with Edge. I need like a storyline or something. Like, so then we had to like, so we were like, okay. That, and then we had to sit back and conjure up this plan of like how we can be with Edge. There's a, Michael Hayes told me once, 
just because everyone's chanting your name, don't think you're over. Right. <laughs> I'm like, isn't that kind of the definition of yes. this? <laughs> so w- w- when this was pitched to Edge, was he obviously he had to agree to it to to Yeah, th- there was a there was a pay-per-view coming up where Edge would be in a triple threat match against Batista and Undertaker for the title. And then we had this idea, like, well, what if we're like under the ring and we cut one of us comes up as Edge and like Batista takes one out, and then like another one comes up and Taker takes him out thinking it's Edge, and then Edge finally reveals himself and wins. And I think it's kind of like a what the f- where how why are there, who are all these edges? Yeah. And then Brian, I think you got his email address. And email. So like <laughs> we literally we know him in a hello and goodbye right. relationship right now. Maybe a conversation once or twice. I mean that is it. And uh, literally went up to him. I said, "Hi, sir, Mr. Copeland. Uh, I have this. We, I said, my partner and I have this idea. Would you mind if I?" And he gave me his email, and I wrote like a very concise like email. And he, luckily, like the graces of the wrestling gods, he actually read it, which I can't believe, and and liked it mm-hmm. enough to talk to Michael. And then I, I remember before we did the real. I don't even know if if Matt remembers this. The real like deciding factor was like if we really looked like him. So he brought a bunch of extra gear and we kind of like hid in an office at a TV and tried it all on. And we were waiting for Michael to come and see it. And I remember like Funaki saw us by accident. He goes, oh, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I think we're good if, if Funaki digs it, you know, or he's believing it. Yeah, If Funaki likes it, we're, we're done. We're good. Yeah, we're good, man. We're good. But I mean, it, it, as, as a heel, he's smart enough to know that it's always great to have, you know, uh, not minions, lackeys, you know, whatever they are, guys that can kind of go out there and and you know cause distractions to win and then take the heat afterwards. And that the, it actually was a great because that was the the start of the of that classic Edge versus Undertaker storyline. You guys were right in the middle of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, luckily we went from absolutely doing nothing, you know, it, like sitting on catering at SmackDown to the next week wrestling Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker. But every, so every the night, learning experience, yeah. unbelievable, you know? How was it for you guys to work with those with those guys? For the most part, I mean, first off, I always say this, we got to watch Edge be a world champion in the biggest company in the world, you know, night in, night out, see what he does, like in the main event every night, in the, sitting there basically in the best seat in the house, you know, right. learning from him, which is like invaluable. But besides that, even on the regular shows, especially the live events, we were always like the match before intermission with... Fit Finley and insert partner mm. going like 20, 25 minutes wow. in these like shoot tag matches with Fit, which like excelled our learning as pro wrestlers faster than I think is humanly possible. Um, and we owe him a, so much for that. You know, it was just like invaluable learning experiences across the board. But see, that was no coincidence. They put you in that position for a reason. So you would learn and become, if you guys are in the main event spot, you better have the timing and poise to, to, to be involved in that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the stuff that we were doing with Fit, it was whatever Fit wants to do, we're, we're doing it. There was no calling it in the, in the back. It was That's great. If Fit yeah. wants to fight us, we'll fight. If he wants to fight back, we'll fight back. We were just not even listening, but just reacting, you know? Yes. And that's yes. what yeah, we had yeah. to do. And we, totally. we thank him so much for that. The true art of wrestling, not uh, thinking about the next spot, but living in the moment. Exactly. That's yeah. something that every veteran, I remember Raven taught me that years ago. It's like you got to stop thinking about what's next and just worry and relate and react to what's going on right this, this second. And that's totally what it was with him. So tell us some of the uh, highlights of this angle with, with Undertaker. So I, I vaguely remember you guys taking choke slams to the floor, or maybe you were on top of a hell in a cell, or I can't remember. There's a lot of stuff going on with you guys, though. It was like 10 months of. Every SmackDown and every pay-per-view at least, right? Yeah. Main event of WrestleMania run-in. 
down the ramp, t- take a choke slam, and take her. And, and, and talk about how naive and young we were. So our first WrestleMania, we run in the main event. So I'm thinking, all right, so next year at WrestleMania, it'll be me versus Hawkins versus Edge, triple threat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's instead we're in the uh, the lumberjack match at the kickoff, you know. <laughs> It did. It did all. It did feel very like this is never going to end, kind of thing right. for sure. And I think that happens. This happened to me a few but times. I, I think you know that's what needed to happen. We needed to be like, okay, we needed a little like, little like, okay, hey, a little slap in the face with reality. Yeah, but like you said, that's when you learn at twenty years old that, that most people don't get this opportunity right. at this stage. It takes yeah, years absolutely. and years and years. So it was it was good for you guys to learn that lesson because a lot of guys don't learn that lesson. And they're gone the next six months. Right. You know, we've seen that happen before. That old WWE mentality of like, there was like no strikes, man. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you messed up and you're just gone. Like there was no. Explain that. No, 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 no mistakes allowed. Yeah. Now I feel like you can make 15 mistakes and still get sit home and get paid. But uh, back then, man, whew, the little slip up. It's like, okay, where'd, where'd so-and-so go? He's gone. <laughs> wow. Did you guys ever get to any uh, talkings to by Undertaker, for example, for not doing the right thing? He Luckily, was he was pretty very, good very us. cool and very like. I remember I worked him once on SmackDown, like singles, like, and I was so nervous. And he was asking me like what I wanted to do, and it was like unbelievable. And he took the time afterwards to sit me down, and explain, okay, you did this wrong, you did this right, and he did that with us a lot. He was he was pretty giving. Like I know a lot of times we would do this the to, uh, walk the top rope spot, and he would let us like counter it where he'd like roll through, and I was like, man. It's the legendary Undertaker. He's letting like Jabron Edgehead like stop him from doing his signature thing <laughs> yeah. to get to something else. I just always thought that was so crazy. And then even like the spot we did at WrestleMania, like he's like, "What do you guys want to do?" I remember we kind of like constructed that and ran it by him, and of course he okayed it. But what was uh, the spot? Was what did you guys do? Um, I'm trying to think. Ed- Edge is getting beat up. We run down. We pop up. He b- bumps one of us, maybe me, to the floor, yeah. and then he kept goozles. Goozles you and then the choke slams on top. Like we came up with the whole thing. Like basically, it was like here's your chance to be involved. Now come up with it. So and yeah, I, I guess I take he the choke, choke slam one guy out of the ring on top. Yeah, almost like a, it becomes like a dive where I yeah. catch Broski. Yeah. My biggest fear is that we were gonna get like sacrificed on the cross the weeks before in Miss Mania. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that could happen too, man. hundred percent. You know that could happen. It could happen. They yeah. could change it during the show. You never know. Oh yeah. Oh my god. So what kind of what was the end of the Edgehead's uh, characters? So what happened was Edge just got hurt, and then without without Edge, we were just the Edge guys. Mm-hmm. You know, we were Hawkins and Ryder, but nobody knew who was who. You know, yeah. I mean, we 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 won the tag team championships, and we were Hawkins and Ryder, and then we lost them, and then it was just like, what are you now? Besides, like you know, the. Uh, good hand tag team you know that's like that's basically what it became so where did you go from there then i don't i don't remember this so the brutal part about it is they said they were going to split us up and then like didn't like every week we'd show up and be like oh and then we were just doing jobs but we were always on Mm -hmm. and then there was a draft and we finally really got split up well i mean that's that's when i knew like okay this is my chance to i need to change the look completely from edge hawkins i needed to cut the hair that's when the the whole woo 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 broski thing started uh, and we were we had kind of been pitching that as a team where I would be that guy and he'd kind of be like the, the you know, the straight lace guy. And then they just wanted it me by myself. And luckily, I was able to take off with that. And then he had to go back to FCW and rebuild himself. So, like, the, again, it's a rebuilding phase. Mm. Broski got drafted to ECW and I got maybe stayed on SmackDown. And then I, I like I didn't have an idea. I really had no clue what I wanted to be or what. Kurt Hawkins was going to become if he wasn't a tag wrestler. And uh, I stopped getting travel. 
And I had been around long enough to go like, that is like, yeah. that's the sign of death around here. So after like maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, I called Johnny Ace and I said, look, I'm not going to travel. I know what that means. Like, I'm not going to sit home, get fired and get my emails ignored. You know, I can't do anything from my couch. I was like, I'll just go to FCW if you want me to. I'll f- outwork every guy you got down there and prove myself and get back up. And he's like, oh, okay, but I'm not paying you because I'm not sending you. That's your choice. Mm. So I went to FCW unpaid for a year and did every practice every show everything imaginable to get back to the main roster unpaid yeah unpaid. no kidding wow mm-hmm. i've never heard that before so they allowed you to work for them not under contract i was under i was under contracts though but i wasn't owed any money i got my video game check that month and that was my full shitty little down my full shitty little downside <laughs> and that was it they don't seven thousand dollar a year downside and, and johnny was making it clear like we don't we're not sending you there like we don't think you suck and need more work this is your choice so like i'm not going to pay you for that i said All right. wow yeah so i bet on, i mean I, I bet on myself and it paid off but how did you make a living like how did you make ends meet? i just i had to just live off the i mean i'm 23 single i i, I lived with tremperetta in a shitty little apartment and you know partied with him and fandango and made it work so that's amazing think about what you just said 23 23 and you're and you're down doing this and that's what we we're talking about earlier just how how quickly it goes by oh yeah in main event wrestlemania then you got to go to fcw for a year to work for free now for you broski this became a pretty big deal because you got yourself over in a lot of ways uh, and we discussed this before but it was years ago and actually got almost got heat because you, you <laughs> grabbed the brass ring how dare you yeah. and got yourself right. over yeah, so like on ECW, it was great because, you know, it was the one-hour show. It was kind of like the Misfits show. And I was, you know, you hear the expression like a big fish in a small pond. And that mm. was great. So I was gone every week. I was getting to wrestle Christian, uh, learning, you know, and getting to cut promos and show my personality and stuff like that. But then once ECW went away and I got moved to Raw, it was like, oh, shit. Because now, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like just a nobody and now I'm still trying to get noticed. And I remember there was got, so many guys helping me out. I remember you pulled me aside and said, get rid of the one-legged tights. You know, it was a lot <laughs> of people. Griffith joiner tights, yeah. A lot of people helped me out. But still, like, I was just so frustrated doing nothing. And I knew that I could do so much more. And uh, that Christmas, my parents had gotten me, uh, this is so old, a flip camera. And I, I didn't know what to do with them. Like, what am I going to do with this flip camera? Like, thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> what, what the hell am I going to do with this? And I'm like, well, what if I did, like, some sort of like skit, like web show thing on YouTube. And, you know, I'll edit myself and try to show my personality that way. And little did I know that it would snowball if it turned into something that I never expected and way big, way bigger than, you know, I would have ever imagined. I really believe like that's why I'm here talking to you now is because of that show. Mm-hmm. Because like that's what I think built my career was me building myself and the and the audience saying, you know what, like, Okay, let's help this guy out and them supporting me and and chanting my name at shows I wasn't even at and, and buying my merch. And at this time, I'm still not even on TV. Like I'm on maybe once a week doing something like losing to somebody or I'm on Superstars, whatever that show is at the time. But it was just the, the skits I was doing. It was just causing uh, like a snowball effect. And, you know, I wasn't trying to I say this. I was trying to get like buzz. I was trying to create some sort of buzz, whether I got noticed by WWE and on TV. Great. But if I got fired, it, I'd have a buzz and I could go somewhere else like at the Indies and, and have a name. And I just wanted some buzz. I just wanted, I didn't just want to be a guy collecting the paycheck. I didn't want to show up and eat the shitty salt and pepper chicken and catering. I wanted to do something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> of course. And it's funny too, because that was the, 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 the precursor to being the elite 
And even this, the, the thing we're doing now, the bubbly bunch of just kind of homemade filmmaking with a sense of humor to it. And I, I think that you were the first guy to do that before anybody else. I definitely was not the first person to have a web show. No way. But I think I was the first person to realize like, hey, like I can connect my character on TV to my personality at home and do this myself. And it definitely worked because like at the time we were so young. So I was on Twitter. I was on YouTube. I was on Facebook organically. So instead of like Matt Cardona doing it, I was doing it as Zack Ryder, this, you know, and then people like, I like this guy. I'm just like him. Or I like this guy. I want to support him. Or the funny things like, you know, instead of complaining and bitching and moaning, I'd be climbing a fence and somebody would be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to get over just, just stuff like that. And it's like, well, how can we really hate on this guy? You know, like he's just trying. And I was just <laughs> going to bring that up. I remember that. Like they say, I can't draw money and you're drawing, you know, a literally draw money. Yeah. And that's my point. Like that the, being the elite really took kind of the insider talk to the, to the masses, but you did that before, before anybody else did. So how was that received? Obviously, the fans got over it. Because I know I remember one time it was even The Rock was in the ring, maybe in Long Island, and they were chanting. Dude, that, that was the best. Ryder. It, when That's Rock the garden. The ring. That's the garden, yeah. The garden? Uh, yeah. I want Broski to tell a story about this that uh, I don't think he wants to tell, but I want him to tell it. <laughs> All right, tell I'll it, tell baby. It. <laughs> okay. So let me just tell my part of this. So I got called by Johnny Ace leading up to this show. This is The Rock's big return at uh, Madison Square Garden. He does that tag match. Johnny Ace calls me. I thought I was getting fired, but he's like, oh, we want you to be like uh, Rock's personal uh, like punching bag, basically. Whenever they built the ring, wherever he was filming a movie, and I would fly in like 7 a.m. flight and a 7 p.m. flight out of Miami, wherever really? we were. And, and I would be like his punching bag, you know, buddy, like me and Joe Henning would be like the guys that he'd roll around with. So I was doing that. And then I was at that show. I don't know why, but I had to be there. So it was at the Garden. And... Uh, He's not booked, right? You're just doing a run-in. Right, I'm not booked. And the crowd is going insane for him. Like, I've never seen before, like, at a live uh, show like this. Like, it's the coolest thing ever. And I'm, like, swelling with pride. So, finally, you... It's Miz... Uh, sorry, Ziggler and Morrison. Yes. And you do the run-in on that match. Right. So, that this is November. I start the YouTube show in February. So, it's almost a whole year of working my ass off. And just Getting trying noticed. to get noticed, yeah. trying, trying, like from, trying. From they, pure jabroni status like, pure, to like the literally. Madison Square Garden shaking for this guy. Right. Shaking. Like, like, it was so cool to see. It, it literally took almost a whole year. And it was the fall time where I think eventually they said, Look, we got to shut these people up. Because, like, they were, I wasn't even, like, booked at these shows. And they're chanting. And they're, they're bringing these signs. And then I was incorporating that into my show. I had somebody who would literally watch Raw and SmackDown and find a Zack Ryder sign and screenshot it. And then I'd include all those signs in my YouTube show. And it would entice people to bring signs. Mm-hmm. You know? So I was just trying to create as much momentum as possible. Finally, I think they had to just put me on to, to shut everybody up. But now the, the chants were getting louder and louder. And especially... The match he's talking about it was a Ziggler versus Morrison match. Like, listen, like I, I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but holy <laughs> shit, like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about like Madison cool Square Garden. Shit, yeah. Like, not only yeah. is it our home arena, but it's it's the f-ing garden, you know? Right. And like, I go out there and I, you know, the place is going nuts, and I get through the curtain, and like Triple H is like, "Come here," and I'm thinking like, "Finally, this is it." <laughs> he's gonna say like, "Good job, kid." Like, I'm like, "This is what I've been waiting for." I, like, how can you deny this? It's Madison Square Garden, right? And he pulls me aside and I had just like got like a fresh, like blonde tips in my hair like that week. So he asked me like, why'd you dye your hair? 
And I'm like, what? What? Like, that's <laughs> this? I've messed with our shit in my name. You're asking me why I dyed my hair first? I've been dying my hair for months. It just was like a fresh job. Like, you know? Yeah. I'm like, come on, man. Like, I thought, like, he put, give, give me the old come here. I'm like, yes, he's finally going to say, like, good job, yeah. man. Like, all right, we believe on you. Let's go. But it was like, you can't go dyeing your hair like that or something like that. I was like, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, like, you got to ask the office before you make changes to your look or whatever. Like, And that's all that they, that was said? That's all that was said that night, yeah. <laughs> so that tells me that you probably then, then, then for some reason, that created heat for you, the fact that you got yourself over. Listen, I, I can't say that. I can't say no, but. Okay, I'll speak on your behalf because I'm so proud of you in this whole era of your career. And the things, honestly, like the groundbreaking kind of things you've done for the wrestling industry in a sense. But, and Chris can attest to this, every year, as long as I was in WWE, after the Raw After Mania, we have this BS company, everyone there at TV meeting where we say the brass ring is there, it's yours, it's a whole, it's a fresh year, who's going to get it? Ever since Long Island Ice Z and the whole Z True Long Island story thing, we don't, they don't even bother with that meeting anymore wow. because they know it's not true. It's right. not true because even if you grab the brass ring, you're going to get your hand smacked and... If they don't want you to have it, you're not going to have it. And once again, you, you guys don't have to contribute to this if you don't feel it. But but there really is a little bit of a strange resentment if if Vince doesn't think of it, it's not valid, it's not real. And the yeah. same thing happened with Daniel Bryan when he first came in. I mean, Vince did not like him because he was a vegan and all these other reasons. Yeah, and same. I went and got over because he knows how to get over, and they still resisted it for so long until finally they had no other choice. I feel the same thing happened with, with Zack Ryder and that you got over so well, you, you gave yourself an internet title, uh, you know, all that. I'm other still stuff. the champion, by the way, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I think he lost the primo in a live event. I don't no, know why he uh, says no, that. No, I defended that. This is another true story. I brought the title <laughs> out once at a live event in Australia against primo and I beat him and I filmed it for my YouTube show and like Mike Rotunda was so pissed afterwards <laughs> that I brought out the belt. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that made the report uh, right after. Yeah, that. but I still have the footage. It's a great match. Hell of a match. <laughs> hey, dude, listen. Now you guys can have a rematch. It's what the That's world right, is for. You're gonna get <laughs> straight to Australia and have made it happen again. But um, so 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 all of this stuff is going on for you, Zach, and for you, Brian. You mentioned you're in uh, uh, FCW for a year. How did you finally get back up to the main roster? Because I know you you said you already that you got fired another time before this this recent uh, recent change. So. Did you come back to the main roster from FCW before you got let go the first time? Yeah, so I did... Uh, let's think about this. Okay, in May 2009, I went to FCW. May 2010, I got recalled up with, in a tag team with Lance Archer. Oh, wow. Actually, and uh, we were like rocking and rolling and like running in and like taking out top guys. And then just it just died one day. And to this day, I really don't know what happened, who didn't like it or what happened. And they just like... They let go of him and kept me on as just like good hand McGee for a couple more years, and that was it. I don't know, but but I mean, in going FCW, that was 2009. I didn't get fired till 2014, so it bought me a lot more, you know, time. Yeah, yeah you really lasted longer. And how about you, uh, Matt? Because you never got fired, but you went through the ups and downs. You had, I mean, my goodness, the angle. I still remember that look on your face when you got <laughs> thrown off the stage by Kane oh, in the boy. wheelchair. Yeah, I mean, that. Dude, I don't. We don't have to dwell on this, but just tell me that was just insane. There's no pads there. I mean, what the hell? I thought you broke both your ankles when you took that bump. So, I mean, one of the most heartbreaking things um, in my career and also in my life was seeing all the hard work 
And from Z trolling out story, literally every week it was getting erased. Like I felt like someone had a right. giant pencil eraser and erasing a part of my body. Like that's what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. And one of my biggest regrets is that I was too young and afraid to almost not stand up for myself, but question like, hey, right. why is this happening? Like, well, I, I should have went right to Vince and said like, hey, I'm selling this merch. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Why is this happening? And I just took it like, oh, there's, a, I was just, okay, well, Kane's throwing me off a stage. I guess I'll fight him next week at Backlash or something. And then, you know, like that never happened. Then, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing. And, then and then eventually, you know, it all goes away. But I was just so naive and young that I just felt like, okay, well, this is just part of it. You know, Kane, you know, beats me up for a while and all right, well, maybe I'll, I'll wrestle him at Backlash or Judgment Day or whatever. You know, like, I just thought that's what would happen. And then, you know, it, it didn't. <laughs> but you always keep getting thrown bones, though. Every once in a while, I, the one I remember is when we, I think it was my last WrestleMania, I think, with the Money in the Bank, where just out of nowhere, suddenly you win. No, the Intercontinental Championship. Yeah, you win. Right. So, yeah, that was WrestleMania 32. And yes, like, out of the blue, um, I was just telling Brian about this. I think I was wrestling Cody actually on like main event or superstars, you know, one of those matches they tape before raw because I still, I never gave up trying, you mm -hmm. know, like, yes, the, the, the YouTube show, it ended, but I didn't like quit on myself. If anything, I was trying harder, but you know, either going to get noticed or you're not like it's, you can't control when someone's going to notice you. You know what I'm saying? Like right. you, I, I use the hashtag always ready, but that's, that's what I believe. You always have to be ready just in case. And that's true. Right. And, and just one day, Vince just happened to be watching the monitor backstage, watching that superstars or main event match. And the story goes like, why aren't we doing something with this guy? Well, I don't know. But a couple of weeks later, I'm in this ladder match for the Intercontinental title, which I was like, holy shit, I'm in this match. And then I win. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like, I up to that point, I had never heard my music play at WrestleMania. I was in one WrestleMania match and I came out to Teddy Long's music. And I have a Teddy Long t-shirt on because it's like Team Teddy versus Team Johnny. And you got kicked in the balls. I got kicked in the balls. That's right. <laughs> I remember a time when, I don't remember the year, but I remember we were talking about something that said, you need to go in the office and tell, I think it was Triple H, and if, was I right about this? And tell him, like, either we need to do something or just let me go. Right, right. Yeah, so that, that was like in the middle, I would say in the middle of the YouTube thing dying and this where... I had said like, hey, like, what are we doing here? I want to do something. I want to contribute. I know that I can. And that's when I, it was a little after that that they had sent me to uh, NXT to team with Mojo as the mm. hype bros, mm. which I was like, you know what? If you're going to give me a chance, I'll, I'm going to make the best of it. And at that same time, I was doing the NXT. It's so weird because I was doing the hype bros in NXT while I was winning the WWE title at WrestleMania. It was such a bizarre mm. thing. Like I was doing NXT, WWE, NXT, WWE. And I'm like, well, are we doing this hype roast thing? Because I just won the Intercontinental title. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> I was literally just doing whatever they told me to do and make the best out of any situation I was given. Brian, let's talk about when you, when you mentioned that you had gotten uh, released or whatever it was in 14. You went and started, I mean, you worked on the Indies and stuff, but you started a wrestling school at that point in time, right? Yeah, so uh, luckily, um, I, I had opened my wrestling school about two months before getting fired. So, and I was, I was kind of begging to go. I felt so like uh, the same as Matt. We've, our careers have been just roller coaster rides of ups and downs, which is, which is cool. That's life, you know? Uh, and like you said, we're always, we've never like phoned it in, you know, we've always tried to look our best, have cool gear, be, have good attitude, you know, give our, give 110% in the ring. So, but I was looking, I was hoping to get fired. Like Corano called me and I was like, oh, thank God. Thank you. I thought you were going to tell me to go to NXT and do something. Or I was like, okay, sweet. 
So I got fired on a Thursday. I wrestled Friday, Saturday, and then just <laughs> literally for two years straight all over. But luckily, I'd opened my school, which was a whole nother level of just um, almost like therapeutic sense for me to give back. And then it's like enjoying the business through like a whole new set of eyes where I can like, you know, train these kids and watch them grow from, you know, people I barely know, dumb little kids that will come in here into like pretty damn polished, good wrestlers that I'm proud of. So that, that whole thing has just been uh, incredible. It's something I wanted to do. I just thought it would come much later in my career, but you know, uh, it was a blessing in disguise. But you have, uh, and, and I could be, and you might have to remind me, but you've had some students, like we have, I know Chris Statlander trained with you, and <laughs> she's very, very green, but also very, very good. Like you can tell she was trained well. She, she, yeah. she wrestles much higher than her experience level, I think. Absolutely. She came yeah. out of your school. Uh, who else came from your school? Well, MJF would have to be the most notable, but I hate to uh, I hate to give him <laughs> such a big plug here on your show. But yeah, <laughs> that's another one, right? He told me that. So that's two. Uh, uh, I mean, MJF once again, his personality is way more uh, experienced than his age. So that's two legit top talents that came from your from your school. That must be pretty gratifying for you as a teacher to know that you. You know, you gave them enough tools that they're able to get on national TV and fit right in so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had a first class education in the business. I mean, I learned from Mikey Whipwreck straight to the WWE, you know, producers slash agents, whatever, for years and years and years and years, you know. So I could I, I soaked that all in and I just want to give it back. So if you put in the work and the dedication to, you know, to come, you're gonna get it, you know. Mm. So and uh Kristen and Max are Two of the, my favorites ever. Kristen is my favorite student ever. She's a super special uh, person, individual, and an exceptional talent. And she's just getting started. She's going to be great. But I'm glad when she uh, when she landed on Earth that she found your uh, your school. Yeah, that was one of those things. I was like, "You sure about this alien thing? Like, you're just pretty you're pretty talented as is. I don't think you really need this alien thing." But she's, she's committed to it, man, and that's yes. all you got to be. So. So let's talk about this final run that you guys had uh, again with Ryder and Hawkins. So you you are off for how long was it before you got hired back, Brian? Oh yeah, that, it was like exactly two years. And then what led to you coming back? I believe what that new uh, the SmackDown was going live, and they had just made one of those big cuts, like they just made last week. Right. And uh, I think they were kind of went like, "Oh shit, we just fired all these guys, but we need guys now for this and that." And what I was told is that Vince wanted guys back that didn't need to be taught, you know, guys mm -hmm. that just knew how to work television and mm -hmm. there was, so there wasn't much. So he, they made like a small list and he handpicked a couple of us off of it. And it was like me and Jinder and Rhino and Shelton. Shelton maybe yeah, Shelton. Yeah. Shelton. And, uh, that's how it all happened. And then I don't want to say I was misled, but like, I was like, Oh cool. This is going to be, you know, sweet. You know, and I had vignettes and stuff, but they really just wanted me back kind of in my old spot of just, you know, making other people look good, which is fine. That's pro wrestling. It is what it is, and I love it either way. You know, I was grateful for it. And then what really happened was some, like, I think some dirt sheet reporter or something wrote some article like, Kurt Hawkins loses 100th consecutive match in a row. And it was, like, getting tweeted to me and shit like that. And I was, like, I was sitting there going, well, that's definitely true, you know? <laughs> I was, like, but I was, like, that's awesome. Like, who cares? Let's, like, let's keep it going. So then I remember, like, I was pitching to everybody, like, let me just keep losing. Like, I'm losing anyway. Like, like, just make sure I Let's keep make losing. It a thing. Yeah. I was supposed to beat Heath on, like, Superstars or Main Event or whatever. And that was the finally when I went to, like, a writer. I made him go to Vince. Like, can you tell him I'd rather not? Like, it was, like, in, it was in Barclays. And he said something to me. Like, let Hawkins get, a, get one in his hometown. I was like, 
ah, I'd rather not. Let's see like where this goes. And I just knew that kind of organically, if I just if I committed to it, something would come of it. And it finally like I didn't I didn't realize how lo- how much I was gonna lose, but uh, it finally did pick up steam. Where I truly felt like people were invested in my matches like they had never been before. Like you know whether I was in Long Island or I was in like Paducah, you know, people knew I was the guy that was losing all the time and they wanted to be there to see me actually win you know so people were like getting in it felt good and at the same time we kind of restart uh started the podcast and i think that reminded everyone what good friends we were and that we used to be a team and then that led to to zach kind of being your uh your motivator to come on you gotta win type thing right yeah because i mean in classic zach Ryder fashion which listen i i i I, I used at the time i used the hashtag still here now it's it's not there but like, you know, I, I'm so grateful for the time there, the, the learning experience, the ups and the downs. Like, listen, I've had the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. And during that time, you know, Hawkins, you think it's bad losing every match. I didn't have a match on Raw in a year, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm literally coming nothing. every week to TV, but not doing anything like not. Like I, I dress up in like my suit, like try to talk to Vince. What one day I even had like, <laughs> it's a funny story. I, I went to it one week and uh, he's like, great ideas. Next week, bring it to me in writing. Right. So the next week I, br- I typed it up like it was a, a like a school project. I had the cover sheet and everything. <laughs> I'm walking around the locker room and people are making fun of me, taking the picture of Zack oh, Ryder man. pitches, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I was doing at that point, I was doing whatever I could. And I, I knew like, listen, I've been up and down, up and down. Like I was just hoping I was being hopeful that something would come around. And luckily it was just this perfect storm. Hawkins on this losing streak, me doing nothing. People were like, oh, my God, these guys used to be partners because I, I think the podcast, the major wrestling favorite podcast, I'm going to plug it right there. But mm-hmm. I think it got it in people's heads. So when I you know, did the big, big run in to save Hawkins, it all made sense. And it was the perfect timing. Did you get your big win, uh, Brian? Yeah, at WrestleMania, we won the tag team titles in front of our, uh, our hometown, friends and family, my, my wife, my kid. It's, uh, it's got to be my favorite. That's great. Where, where, where was career. that at? Where was that? MetLife. MetLife. Wow, that's great. A couple years ago, I can't remember, man. Sorry. It was last year's WrestleMania. That's great. So that was your big victory, winning the tag team titles Two, at WrestleMania. Two hundred and sixty-nine losses in a row, <laughs> but I got you know I got my WrestleMania moment. I, I mean, honestly, like that's what like you know the epitome of like people in our business being marks for themselves. Like I lost two hundred and sixty-nine matches in a row. I never had more fun. I was never more over. I never made more money. You know, <laughs> like, that's, well, in the dude, business, you, you were the reverse Goldberg. Yeah, no, that's what people called me, actually. <laughs> Who did you beat for the titles? The Revival. That was super cool for me because, like you said, I had that WrestleMania moment winning the IC title. But this one, I had the front row seat to watch him get his. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm literally on the floor laid out. And the people, they're just, they're they're wanting it to happen. And when he gets that one, two, three, the people go nuts. And it was just so cool that, you know, we started as a team, but we never had, like, a WrestleMania match. So to come out, especially in our... I say hometown because they were saying New Jersey's New York, but it's New Jersey. But it's the yeah. closest thing. Yeah, it's where the Jets play. It's cool. Yeah, so for all <laughs> our friends and family to be there and for it to happen. And then, you know, we won the tag team titles in our hometown. Like, we could write that story. Like, okay, we we started in the business together, 18-year-old kids. It takes a while, but we finally get to WrestleMania in our hometown, win the tag team titles. And it's it just like, that's life. That's not, this, this, that's not a storyline, you know what I'm saying? To me, it felt as real as it gets. Well, once again, like you mentioned, it's a full circle moment. And in the meantime, you also have this podcast, which starts with you guys meeting each other when you're 19, 20 and realizing you have an affinity for, for, for wrestling figures. 
But this has been a couple of years now, and the podcast is very successful. So tell us kind of where the idea came from, obviously, but how are you getting it to to be so successful? And what's the, the theme of it? Well, see, uh, me and him, we talk about wrestling figures all the time, and I knew I wanted to do some sort of podcast about wrestling figures, and it, it really, I think, took a while for, for Brian to agree. And at first, we didn't realize, like, okay, well, what are we going to talk about? The first one is, like, just 45 minutes of rambling, and then you know, we start adding segments and then we start getting our own catchphrases and then we, oh shit, we should make some merch and we're plugging merch and then we do live shows and it's just another snowball, something that I didn't think would get as big as it did so fast. Uh, uh, do you have guests on it or, or like how, how how do you run the show? Um, we, we have guests like when appropriate, you know, like we're going to interview you in a little bit to be Absolutely, honest. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, but not like weekly, you know, we do it where it fits and where we, we can have fun with it or it's uh, easy for us. I think what the real, the root of it is kind of like what we've been saying all along is that collecting wasn't always like so cool or something you were so quick to like openly talk about. And we have to a ridiculous level bared our souls in this show from time and time again, talking about, you know, when we played with our figures and what we did with that Chris Jericho figure and what kind of push he got and, you know, the storyline <laughs> and like, it's, it's. So like it, you know, com- we're completely exposed as nerds, and then our fans are are the are the same, you know, and they they just like they they see themselves in us, you know, and they realize, oh, these guys are just like me, you know, this is fine, and we've really uh, made a community out of it, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. And, and Broski's right. At first, I was like, I don't know, man, like I don't know what 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 could this really be, you know, a, a podcast about wrestling figures, but it, it's gone above and beyond my wildest dreams. So how like can, we, how is there uh, sorry to interrupt you dude but how is there so many so much material to talk about like how many wrestling figures are there that you could do this every week we we don't we literally have to stop ourselves there's so much to talk about like I could like that's the thing like sometimes he's like all right let's wrap it up let's cut a segment collapsible seg because we can just keep going <laughs> yeah. you know and like we just did uh, we we've done a couple live shows and the 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 last one we just did we actually had to do uh, via Skype. And we had a lot of people, you know, phone in and, but it's a two hour show. Maybe 10 minutes of it is actually about toys. It's turned into this whole like community and like inside jokes. And like, it's just like you, you watch 40 year old virgin, which came out like 10, 15 years ago. And the guy is literally a virgin. He's a loser. And he has mm. these figures on display, but now we're trying to, to advocate, like, you know, it, it, it's cool to, to collect. Everyone collects something, you know? I truly think, like, if that movie came out now, they wouldn't be able to depict that guy as such a loser. If he had a collection like that, people would be like, whoa, this is pretty valuable, sweet stuff this guy's got, you know? <laughs> but that's the thing. When you find the community, like, uh, like for me, like, I'm a big Kiss fan. There's so many Kiss podcasts. Like, literally, there's 20 of them. How... How much stuff does Kiss have that you can talk about it on 20 separate podcasts? Yeah, but it's right. not just the material. It's the different guys on each show. It's the camaraderie. It's the fun element of it. And I think that's kind of what you guys have discovered, that whether you talk about you know wrestling figures or whatever it may be, it's everybody that's tuning in to hear you guys talk about whatever it is that you're talking about that week. And that's where the, the beauty of the show comes from. Right. It, it, it's the back it's and forth banter. Right? It's the, the ripping on each other, making fun of each other. It's just like two guys being friends. It's really, we're talking about wrestling. It's really just nostalgic, right? You can't go back in time. You can't get in the DeLorean and go back mm. to 1985 when, you know, it was Chris's morning and you opened that LJ and Hulk Hogan. But through this podcast, you kind of can a little bit, you know, you, now, oh, you know what? Maybe let me go on eBay and get that Jimmy Snuka figure from, from 86 that I, that, you know, my mom never got me. And then you get it like, holy <laughs> shit, this is cool. I, Maybe I'll get the the Corporal Kirshner. I'll get the JYD, and then you're like, oh, oh my god, I'm a 35 year old man 
buying all these toys. It's like you're yeah. recreating the, the memories from childhood and creating ones that you never got to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've we've had some unreal like sentimental messages from our listeners or people like, you know, I lost my father this past year and I remember he bought me this, you know, Hulk Hogan Hasbro and I, I got it off eBay and, you know, you guys inspired me and things like that that like are just pretty surreal. It's a very, you know, everyone has very sentimental feelings about their childhood and sometimes it's linked to things like the toys you had. Sure it is. And it's cool right now, especially in, in this time, you know, with the pandemic going on with the technology we have like us being able to talk right now looking at each other sound quality is great and it's it's providing great content not just for us to give us something to do but people that are stuck at home excited every week what's they going to talk about this week what's going to be on talk is jericho what's going to be on the on the on the uh, the figure show i mean that's all it's it's that's where the community also extends as well yeah and it's just uh you know like i said we just did this i say live but it was a this two hour event that we put on YouTube and like all the fans tuned in and it was just, it wasn't about figures. They're, they're tuning in to see what we're going to say, yeah. what we're going to do. We're ha- we have storylines on our show. You know, <laughs> we have this fake wrestler named Stang and he, he went to Heath Slater's house and beat him up with the bat. Like it has nothing to do with wrestling <laughs> figures, you know, but it was on the show. And people loved it. Chris, can I just tell you where that came from? <laughs> sure. We had Slater on the show and we said, Hey man, who, like you like wrestling growing up. Who was your favorite? He's like, man, I just love Stang growing up, man. <laughs> I'm like Stang with an A. Oh, that's great. There was a, a guy called Hardbody Harrison uh, at WCW Jobber, and he used to pitch all these ideas to DDP. And one of his ideas was that he was going to be the Black Sting and call himself Stang. S-T-A-N-G. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. <laughs> they didn't use it, but uh, but that's, <laughs> that's a good one. Last few questions for you guys. Now that uh, now that you guys are, are free agents. Um, obviously it's, it's not the same as it would be. Like you mentioned, uh, Brian, when you got released last time on a Thursday and you're working on a Friday, now there's no shows to go to because of the situation that we're in, but it gives you a little bit of time to kind of think about what you want to do. Any thoughts about, about the future? You guys want to try and do a tag team singles, both? Uh, well, we've collectively already decided that we're only going to take tag team bookings if the juice is worth the squeeze. You know what I mean? It's got to be. <laughs> You know, Where's the headbangers, you know, headbangers, give us rock and roll express. You know, we, it's gotta be, it's gotta be something like that. We're not coming to wrestle Billy and Bobby, the local hometown heroes. No offense. Gotcha. Honestly, I, I have not decided. I think there's wrestling is, um, never been more plentiful. Like in our, our, the career that we've had, you know, the 16 years we've been doing this, there's so many options and so many cool things that could be done. Uh, so I'm just excited to do it. I just wish I could do it right now. That's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. This is waiting, you know. Tom yeah. Petty said it best. You know, the waiting is the hardest part. And because uh, last time, you know, in less than 24 hours, I'm, oh, I got out of my system. I had wads of cash on me. I was like, oh, my God, this is cool shit, you know. Right, And right. Uh, I'm about to do, you know, four rolls in my backyard here because I'm so itchy to just get out there. But that's really it. I just want, I just want to go because I think the sky's the limit. How about you, Matt? Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, when everyone was getting those phone calls last week, obviously, you don't know for sure. If it's going to be you, but I'm like, I already have my pro wrestling tea store ready to go. I had my logos made up. I'm like, here we go. Here we go. Because through this podcast and even through the YouTube, I love like just being creative and, and seeing like those results and, and, and hustling, you know? So I can't, I cannot literally, I feel like I'm Christmas morning. I see those presents. And I just want to run and open them all up. So like Brian said, th- the fact that we can't wrestle right now. Okay. But I'm just so pumped i'm just so like just anxious to get out there and be creative and 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 there's things i've never done and there's things i want to do like you know rapid delivery rory fox i'll say right here on talk is jericho i want to wrestle rapid (laughs) delivery rory fox in a tuxedo match you know Uh, i I, 
my God. What a bizarre dream match, right? Still one of the best stories ever. We don't have to get into it, but basically right. Rory, Rapid Delivery's uh, tights basically exploded during a match with, uh, with Zach. <laughs> And he was Chris, not he's wearing a recurring guest on our show. So. He was not wearing undertight. So he made a career out of that, man. If that's what right. you got to do, right? Exactly. See, but what I was going to say, too, though, is both of you guys, I'm glad you got to, to, to discover this. By having your own podcast, your personality, your excitement, your passion, you know, WWE is a great company. But if you only work there, you forget what it's like to truly be creative and truly oh, yeah. be in charge of what you want to do. And that's what the essence of pro wrestling is. So I think it's great that you guys, um, I've been saying this to you for years, uh, Matt, that it's time yeah. to go and see what's going on outside of the WWE system. And I'm excited for you guys because I can tell that you still have this excitement even more so now to realize we're free to do whatever the hell we want. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say this wrong because it's unfortunate that so many people lost their jobs last yes. week, right? That That is sad. But in a, on a flip side, like with my school, Creative Pro Wrestling, um, I have to run shows because I can't just say, hey, book all nine of my students. You know, that's not how wrestling works. So I had to kind of default become a promoter. And there's almost like there's nobody to bring in to put on a poster or anything yeah. because there's so many. And it's awesome. There's so many thriving wrestling companies on television that I was having a hard time doing that. And now that you've like unleashed kind of, you know, 20 something pissed off wrestlers yeah. ready to prove a point out there. Like, that's fun, man. That's like that that creative energy and excitement is like infectious and i think like wrestling as a whole will eventually thrive because of it mm -hmm. agreed agreed yeah and like my main thing is listen like i was there for so long right and i am grateful for everything the ups and the bads because i truly the ups and the downs i truly believe that is why i'm the person i am today not just right. i grew up as a man there and as a wrestler yeah more importantly as a man and a person you know but right now like I don't really care about proving people wrong. I want to prove all everyone right. All those supporters, everyone who really gave a shit about me during that YouTube era or every little time when they didn't they didn't have to care about me. That's who I want to prove right. And I want to prove myself right. And I, I just cannot wait for all the opportunities out there. Last question for you guys. What's your favorite match that you had uh, within your WWE careers? Mine has to be last year's WrestleMania. Like I said, home, hometown. Uh, you know, I got to kiss my wife and daughter holding the tag team titles, you know, on, on screen, you know, front row, won the tag team titles with my best friend, the guy I started the business with 18 years old, you know, and especially in the WWE world where in your hometown, you usually get put in a dumpster or something, you know, to, <laughs> so to have such a cool moment, uh, that that's irreplaceable to me, you know, sentimental wise, I've had matches that were fun and great and all, but sentimental wise, I don't think anything's going right. to top that for a long right, time. Right. Yeah, and I'd be lying if I if I didn't say it was when I won the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania. I mean, for, for so many reasons, um, it was just the, the ups and downs. I keep saying ups and downs, but I had a lot of them, you know? But to finally get that moment, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Like, it was all worth it for this. And then to, to look down and see my dad, who legitimately, Ziggler said, come on over. And he said, okay. I just hopped the barricade. Like, that was not part of the show. You know, my dad gets in the ring, and then he's wearing the, the Dallas wrestlemania cowboy hat tries to put it on my head and at the time i'm so pissed i yank it off you know but um you know that rob shamberger he painted a nice photo of, of us hugging and you, you of course you see the hat in it and you you see the ic title and uh when i when i got the call knowing that i was getting released like when i got it like i was looking right at that that picture and i was smiling like you know what this is a good thing mm -hmm. i did that i had that moment like my dad got to see that and now it's all about creating new moments, new memories, and I'm just so excited. Well, guys, once again, uh, congratulations on a great run in the company. It's not easy to do to stay on the main roster. 
uh, for as long as you guys did. And I'm excited to see what happens in the future. And I'm excited to talk about some uh, wrestling uh, action figures oh, on, yeah. on your show. So well, thank uh, you very much. We'll uh, we'll we'll say goodbye and then we'll say hello in a few uh, minutes. You got it. Thanks, Chris. Right, thanks, guys. Chris. I'm looking see forward ya. to seeing you guys uh, out there soon.